Let's spread a song so you can sing along with my special guest star two. You like to sing and dance, and this podcast by chance explores musicals for you. everyone welcome back to another episode of life's but a song a podcast that likes to live in the land of musicals i'm your host john and with me i have two very special guests one is a west coast based actress another one is a west coast based actor turned jack of all trades uh they both host the podcast my favorite flop which is awesome and i love it you guys need to listen to it it's bobby traversa and christina miller weston i hope it didn't mess up your names no you didn't no you got it correct yay how are you guys you both today oh you know we're doing good i think yeah we're doing good doing good so excited to be here i am excited for you guys to be here oh my god so in true fashion of your podcast what are you guys currently listening to oh that's exciting. I, go, I Bobby, do. Go. go, Bobby. <laughs> oh, go, Bobby. This is awful. I totally was listening to this, and I've mentioned it on our podcast already, but in preparation for today's episode, I was listening to Heather's because Alice Lee from yes, Zoe Alice Lee. Yeah. plays Heather Duke. And uh, Heather's is one of those shows that I did not enjoy watching it live, and I am obsessed with the cast recording. Hey, Christina, what are you currently listening to? I have been listening to Groundhog Day. Ooh. I know. I love Groundhog Day. I saw it closing week on Broadway and fell in love with the show. I'm really sad and disappointed that it did not take off the way it should have. I know that they were planning on doing a West End transfer, and I'm hoping that that's now going to happen post-pandemic. I've been having a rotation of albums going. Mm. Okay. Um... I've been listening to Lizzie, the musical, the Lizzie Borden okay. musical. And what was the other ones that I listened to? Oh, We Are the Tigers. I don't know if you've yes. heard of that show. I almost did that show. What? <laughs> what well, was in LA, right? Yeah, it was when they were doing the first workshop here in LA. And I, uh, Richie asked me to come in for it. And I auditioned and they really wanted me to do it. But I was doing nice work. And I was like, this is going to like cross over. And I don't think this is going to work out, guys. <laughs> and so I ended up not doing it. But th- I think it's such a fun show. So many of our friends were in it here. It's... And a couple of them, did, I think, went to New York with it as well. I, um, I, yeah, I got a chance it. to see it like days before it closed. And it was... Yeah amazing and then i've been listening to losing my mind the sondheim disco fever dream have you guys have you heard of this oh no yeah i've heard of the album i don't know if i've I've heard that recording specific there's a couple different songs it's a whole album yeah okay but we're here today to talk about zoe's extraordinary playlist season one which i'm kind of surprised you guys picked this I thought true to form, you guys were going to pick a flop, you know? <laughs> we were, we were thought about it and we were like, well, we talk about flops on our podcast and we did talk about doing a, a flop thing, but we're like, we never get a chance to talk about a television really and mm-hmm. be anything popular on our show. So we were like, let's, let's, let's try it out. I don't know. This, it, uh, revisiting it. I loved every second of it. 
even when I was, you know, ugly crying at the last episode. I can't with that last episode. (laughs) Uh, For those of you who don't know Zoe's, uh, it was created by Austin Winsberg. First episode premiered January 7th, 2020. And last episode was May 3rd, 2020. So super depressing time (laughs) had by all. Oh my God. I can't believe that aired as the pandemic happened. I didn't even realize that. Yeah, Yeah, I think they were filming it at like the the rise when it was coming to America. Oh, gosh. They started filming it, I believe, in October, November of 2019 is when they started it. And then they wrapped up, I think, right as the pandemic hit. And then, of course, they had to do post and put out the episodes. But I think that they had finished filming as the pandemic hit. Wow. Correct in that. Uh, but yeah, no, I think this this show, honestly, when it came out, we started watching it and I didn't know it was what I'd always been waiting for. I had no idea until I watched it. Well, because it's we've we've had Glee, we've had Smash, we've had other shows that were the musical show. But I feel like this one, at least this season, the first season, takes it very seriously. Right. Uh, and the song choices are yes are the best ones like with with glee which i'll eventually cover but <laughs> i have a whole no but like the song choices that they pick on that you're like are you sure you want teenagers singing this right but like it makes sense when they call them heart songs and especially the episode where they um uh break all the rules episode eight zoe's extraordinary glitch yes which my goodness she sings like i saw mommy's kissing santa claus which is like perfect lost my mind in that performance on the floor perfect the funniest thing (laughs) and rewatching it i was just like oh that did happen okay yeah where she's energetically (laughs) dancing around and doing this choreography and singing live like i i feel like she was singing live i'm you guys are more the expert than I am, though. Well, it definitely cuts back because I just rewatched everything like yesterday mm-hmm. yeah. in preparation for this. <laughs> so uh, did I. <laughs> and it definitely cuts back and forth. And they do that, I think, to really show that in her mind, these musical numbers are happening and nobody can see them. But when it the table slip on her in episode eight, she's physically doing them. You know what I mean? So it has... I don't know if the entire song was performed live, but definitely big portions of it were. Yeah. One of the things I really love about this episode, and they they do this in other episodes as well when they're dealing with um, like really tender moments. Uh, But one of the things that that Austin does really well, and Mandy Moore, I'm sure, plays a big part in this. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, Mandy Moore is the choreographer and um, one of the producers as well. Not Rapunzel. Not 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 Rapunzel. Not This Is Us. Not Candy. Not not This Is Us. (laughs) <laughs> yeah look man you can't forget about candy you that cannot. was my childhood okay i mean those those green vw bugs isn't that with the music video that it's just like like a line of like green i don't know green vw bug was I what i always wanted to drive because of the other Mandy more there so. you go but anyways one of the things i really love in this show and they play with this a lot is 
when they use the live singing element and when they use the recorded singing element and what that does to the storytelling. They're very specific about it. And I absolutely love how they utilize it in this particular one, especially because Jane Levy is great. And she's definitely a musical theater background girl. Um, but she, I believe, considers herself first and foremost an actor dancer singer. Is she and- musical theater background? I believe so. I don't know that she's done Broadway by any means, but I, I know that she's done musicals before. Um, oh, I didn't realize that. She is a dancer, right? Um, and you can mm-hmm. see that when she does some of these numbers. I mean, her mm-hmm. technique is really strong. Um, but I don't know if she considers herself a dancer or a singer or not. Um, and I love that it's raw and it's not like perfect pitch. It's not perfect. And like her just it's like the ultimate I got caught with my pants down at the school assembly moment like it's just so good uh, she has no qualms about it I love it so the the whole season though deals with Zoe Clark played by Jane uh, Le- 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 Levy 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 that's it oh, oh, I believe you I don't know <laughs> uh, somebody fact check me but don't um, <laughs> she, she gains superpowers during an earthquake in an MRI machine Yep. Yep. Okay. Because <laughs> why not? And can hear people's inner thoughts and emotions by seeing them perform pop songs, basically, you know, or right. whatever kind of songs uh, to fit their emotions. And Mo, played by Alex Newell, helps her figure out the rules throughout the season, which sometimes they list. I got, I, I wrote down a bunch of them that I found five personally in the within the series you know like zoe has to help whomever she hears singing otherwise the song will like haunt her right the more powerful the song the more people involved so that's really that is something yeah which i didn't i i guess i figured that one out like subconsciously but it wasn't until the episode where max played by skylar astin does the flash mob yes that i was gonna t- bring that episode up yeah oh, that yeah, yeah. float through me for a world even re-watching it because it totally was like here are all the rules we've set up and like nope never mind because now flash mobs can happen right. and people can break out in song in actual real life like what's going on here but like the fact she has a, th- a line that's kind of thrown away where she's like wow this must be a powerful emotion and she's seeing everyone dance and i was just like they never really like talk about the more you see the more powerful the emotion must be right yeah i think that's definitely something that's implied uh for Mm -hmm. sure and i love that moment because it you can see the difference mandy Moore again with really strong storytelling the choreography is completely different with the flash mob than it is in some of these heart song moments where it's in her head right like the heart song choreography tends to be like really intricate and really beautiful storytelling. And then we get this flash mob. And I remember watching it the first time and being like, why didn't she like, this choreography is not great. <laughs> like being like, meh. Right. And I'm like, they have all these people. There's so much opportunity. Why is it so simple? And then I was like, oh, the minute it switched and you like Bobby was saying they broke the rule and it's real people in real life. I was like, oh, I get it. That was smart. Well done. Well done, Mandy Moore. We use those storytelling techniques. And then Zoe can also hold a conversation while a heart song is happening, a la 
I want to dance with somebody in the cafe, mm-hmm. in the coffee shop. Time stops while a heart song is happening, apparently. I feel like this might be a season two thing. Because are you guys watching season... Have you guys been watching season two as well? I only made it through the first episode. Um, <laughs> I have, that, Not because I couldn't finish it. It's just I haven't been able to prioritize it yet. That's all. It, I feel like you see a moment... I, I feel like I remember seeing a scene of Zoe being in the heart song moment and she's zoned out and people are looking at her weirdly because oh. she's staring into space. Yeah. there. I think that happened. I think that happened, but they even kind of talk about that in this season where it's like, where did you, you know, they'll be like, where did you just go right now? You're, you're here. Having a you're Zoe moment. They always yeah. Say- and then Zoe can only hear heart songs when she's meant to hear them. There's nothing like on cue. But I think it's funny that in episode two of this season, Mo is like, let's test it by going to karaoke. And then later in the series season, she goes to karaoke with <laughs> right. with, uh, with Joe and her boss. <laughs> so did any of you, did you guys audition for the show by any chance? You can be honest. I did not because I was would have been in New York still doing non-performer things. So I did not. I know many people who did. Christina? I. Uh, it is a point of contention right now because I desperately would like to be considered for this show. So anyone at UDK, hi, how are you? Austin, are you listening? I'm here God, I hope they're listening. <laughs> have you looked at like, how they created the show? Like what the meaning behind the show really is for Austin? Yes. So I have a friend who is friends with him, who's good friends with him. Um, and his dad had PSP. Uh, and one of the things that drew myself and my husband to the show is that his grandmother passed from PSP and my grandfather passed from PSP. And it is, it is a disease that is not talked about. It's quite often misdiagnosed, um, which they kind of touch on in the show. They don't go too deep into it, but um, it's really not a fun way to watch a family member go um or a loved one and uh i love that he found a way to tell this story without it being like i'm gonna slit my wrist now you know (laughs) right i was Um, reading an ew article about it where he was saying that his life his life is parallel to the character david where his dad was dying and he was expecting a child at the same time but he wanted to turn that into something more optimistic and then he like twists the knife and gut punches you at the same time by the last episode dedicating it to his dad and Mm. doing the title card of like for more information on PSP yeah and you're like I'm already ugly crying I'm waiting for my Oscar but like thank you for the (laughs) the website that I will go to Mm -hmm. uh but going with that did you feel like the dad was gonna die at the end of the season so I I didn't, and I think it's one of the interesting things about, because it's a TV show, you know what I mean? And it wasn't billed as a limited series. I I think realistically, we probably are supposed to think, oh, he's going to pass. But because of, I think, how optimistic and, and over the top the TV show is and knowing that it was going to get a season two, uh, I think going into that finale, I expected peter gallagher to be around a little bit longer so that actually shocked me that they decided to do it because it really kind of again in so many ways that the show did 
threw the wrench and kind of just changed the rules on a lot of things about TV and musicals on TV and all of this kind of stuff. It was like, well, well, what happens now? Because <laughs> where does your story go after after he passes, Christina? I personally didn't think that it could that Peter Gallagher's character Mitch would go past the season one. Um, just how they were building the story, also on the like side, knowing what this disease is and does and and the turns it takes um and so i kind of expected it to happen i still don't want it to happen of course no yeah you're like... rooting the whole time for it not to happen and for a Grey's anatomy moment to happen where of course they come up with some miracle way to cure him <laughs> but i i appreciate that they went there and i appreciate the way they handled it i think that like bobby said this show really breaks the rules on a lot of things even without the musical element um in terms of how they tell the story and and where they're willing to go and i i have so much appreciation for it i really do i think that it's a really especially this first season was a really part important part of television history so with that last episode of the season when did you start crying oh like at the first 30 <laughs> seconds i was like <laughs> I'm not a crier. You can ask Bobby. I'm not a crier, but the whole time I was just like, <laughs> actually, I think once an episode I was crying on this show. Well, so I watched, I I would watch it the next day because I don't have cable personally. Right. right. And when it first came out, I think around episode eight, it was when the shutdown happened. That's when other emotions were happening and you're already running high. So I think that time I was crying once an episode, but watching it again for this, it wasn't until uh, Lullaby, Goodbye, My goodbye, my Angel. And I'm going to cry now talking about I, it. I literally just got goosebumps like as you <laughs> said that song title. Like my whole body just was like, ugh. And then they, and then they slow dance while he's literally dying to true god sorry <laughs> but but then the shock of all shock is that they did all 9 minutes of american pie that was beautiful like and it's beautifully all done. one shot and it, yeah. yeah yeah which is great how to kind of like turn the conversation into something a little happier i i love how they do that with the heart songs where it's all fluid motion rather than cuts for the most part there are some times where you have to obviously go from one character to another but no it's very theatrical in that way uh, yeah you know one of my biggest problems with movie musicals is that they rely on so much with with cutting and different shots and things like this to hide the fact that you know what we buy on stage and this show this show you can tell is either done by people who've worked in the industry or really love the industry because they allow these musical moments to live and breathe as what they are. You know what I yes. mean? Like unafraid. It's like, yeah, we're going to do this and we're going to let it happen That's you know, a... because we're so s- strong in our belief that this should happen right now. You know, that's the best way to put it. Like, obviously it's made, I mean, all the actors are, perf- are stage actors at some point. Or were stage actors at some point, except for Mary Steenburgen. 
I couldn't I find mean, anything about her. I don't think so, but <laughs> I mean, she could have she could have been in plays. Oh, but quite probably. Um, no, yeah. For the most part, I think everybody has done. I mean, I don't know about Lauren Graham. I don't think she's done. She was in Guys and Dolls. And Dolls. And um, and you wait. So, do you guys know that she was a last minute replacement too? Right? No. I didn't know that. It was supposed to be Carmen Cusick from Bright Star and oh, the revival yeah, yeah, yeah. of Carrie and Wicked, and Lauren Graham stepped in as a last minute replacement. So, just fun little factoid wow. to throw in there. Bobby's I full of factoids, and I love it. Love that. But I also love that apparently Mary Steenburgen, fun little factoid, has a ability similar to the character Zoe, like that person. Oh. She woke up from a minor arm surgery and can and hears music. Like di- wow. talking to people is musically musical, and I didn't that really understand a lot it. About how she communicates? Yeah, uh, that's from IMDb. So like grain of salt, but I mean, I love Look, her. I've always loved her. She's like, fabulous. I love her. I, I'm so glad to see her actually on a network television show. Uh, that's doing so well and is so popular. It's it's really great. Yeah, and like when they singing moments are probably the most awkward for me. But well, when they find the right song, when oh, they find because yeah. she's like the first few songs that they gave her. I was just like, I get why you picked the song, but have you heard the person singing it? Yeah, right. a little less conversation is probably the most awkward moment in season <laughs> one for me. And I literally, like, I wrote it down. It's the only one I have written down on this lovely sheet that you sent us where it says flat. And I was like, flat. Oh, we'll get there. We'll get little there. less conversation. <laughs> we will get there. Worry not. Also, just uh, back to Bobby's point about how they deal with the musical moments and allowing them to happen. I was really nervous about watching this show at first because Mandy Moore was choreographing everything because she did my least favorite movie musical, <laughs> La La Land. I hate that movie. And I one of the reasons I hate it is because of the dance sequences, even though I love her as a choreographer outside of things. Um, and so I was really nervous when they announced her as the choreographer for the show. I was like, oh, no, no. No. And then so happy I was wrong. So happy that I got smacked in the face and asked to sit back down because on my like little couch. But um yeah. but she had I mean her work in this show is so stunning and so brilliant. I'm going to say that she just needed the right people and that La La Land had the wrong people. That's what I'm going to say to that. Oh, all I was going to say is what you talk about the right people. I mean, Austin, I really don't know what Austin is in Hollywood, but I know that he wrote a book to first state the musical. And I I know that it may not be people's most favorite musical ever. I saw it many times on Broadway. And what I thought was so great about the show was the book of how mm-hmm. those characters broke into song the way they did. If the book had not been as good as it was, it would have been so ridiculous so i think his way to make these musical moments just happen and her choreography that really there's a gelling between the two of them i really think that neither yes. one would work without the other uh, that's all i was gonna say completely that's, that's agree with you and i love first date i think first date is a lovely one-act musical i really like how they're also playing with the tone of the songs 
where they turn, for example, I want to dance with somebody into a ballad. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, that moment was sexy. I'm not going to lie. I thoroughly enjoy it. And it's also a moment where you're just like, where I could see people arguing about like, but it's Whitney, it's got to be fast. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah I'm saying I, I, argue would, I think that Whitney would argue back with no. It can be what it needs to be. Uh, Obviously, in this show, you have to have a love triangle, because apparently that's popular these days. So are you Team Max or Team Simon? Oh, that's really hard. I'm not going to lie. Throughout the entire first season, I was Team Max. Okay. I'm Team Neither. Oh. (laughs) Oh. You're Team Zoe? Like, focus on herself? I am legit Team Zoe. I mean... Look, if she's still singing stuff in season two, she's got some work to do, right? Like, if <sighs> just wait. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm Team Zoe. I'm Team Zoe. Ha- evolved so much as a person in her work relationships, in her family relationships, in her romantic relationships, and I think she's still growing. And I think I don't think Zoe is ready for either of those two men who are also navigating their own growth stories at the mm. same time, right? Like That is I true. I agree with that. Yeah. There is something so lovable about Max, Austin Skyler's character. I mean, it's, there's something. Skyler there. Aston? That's <laughs> what I meant. <laughs> you, you, mom brain. You, no, no, you were, you were doing the proper way, you know, last name comma first, right? That's exactly what I was doing. <laughs> Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate that. You're to help. <laughs> I love Zoe's relationship with Mo. I think that Alex Newell in this show is perfect. Is abs- you're right. Absolute perfection. I worked mm-hmm. with him once and he was just the sweetest human. He was like, I'm bored. Do you want to come hang out in my trailer? And I was like, yeah, man, sure. And like they had rented a bunch of small theaters on Theater Row here in Los Angeles to shoot some of the stuff. And uh, his trailer, in quotes, was the upstairs of one of those theaters. That <laughs> <laughs> so they had like put snacks and like made it nice and all that kind of stuff. He's like, I don't really care. My agent asked for it. But yeah, let's talk. Tell me all the things. And I'm like, okay what's up man like it, just the most lovely human and so stupid talented and him in this show i'm so excited because not only does he get to show off that ridiculous voice i mean the i voice mean just <laughs> stupid but he also gets to show off what a brilliant actor he is right yeah because he gets the the peaks and valleys with everything because it's not just the one the one note where it's easy to put a queer character at right. where they're always running high and everything but he also the oh god Bylamos when he sings that with uh I forgot the character's name and I don't really care about it but like the fact that they're doing like a sexy slow salsa dance while everyone else is raving around them like oh yeah well I love how I love how simple they made that relationship in their courting be they didn't belabor you know so many times in these shows when you have the queer character there is such a belaboring of queer relationships and things like that and it was probably the most uncomplicated at least at first until it gets complicated you know what i mean mm-hmm. but it didn't allow the queer factor to be the reason that it was complicated you know mo was allowed to to have to be jealous and to have these things and and have a story arc 
that was separate from the fact like, hi, it's the, you know, person of color, queer, XYZ neighbor. You know what I mean? None of that dictated that storyline, which I thought was so amazing. Yeah. And they also, I, what I love about what they've done with Mo's character is that it gets to explore so many avenues of what it means to be queer and means to be um, LGBTQ because he is gender fluid, which I'm all about. Um, and the different aspects of being queer and, and what that, what those things are to different people. And the episode where they deal with him in the church choir really hit home for me. I mean, that. Oh, God, I love that it. That whole storyline was so beautifully handled um, and such a wonderful way to have that conversation and to watch his growth in that episode as a character. I mean, it was just, oh, that hit me in the gut. That was another one where I just cried the entire episode. I was, I was like in, in a puddle the entire time. <laughs> the show was set in san francisco and it's great to have that be another character in and of itself but do you feel like this show could be set in another city like if it was set in new york or maybe in like chicago i'm trying to think of other like tech places i don't think new york would be the right place i mean it would have a different vibe to it for sure right i think San Francisco is with the thing with New York. I think that you would be questioning the entire time. Why isn't it show tunes? You know what I mean? Like, uh... I, I think there would be an inherent San Francisco is like, it's such a, it's such a liberal. It's such an outspoken. It's such a blending of cultures like New York is, but it doesn't have that iconic cultural milestone the way that like a, like a Hollywood or in New York, or Chicago would be really interesting, actually. Mm-hmm. I think Chicago would be fascinating. Um, there are times watching the first season, though, that I truly question how much of it actually was filmed in San Francisco. Because Almost none of it. N- n- not a lot. Yeah. because it was filmed in Vancouver, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because there's definitely, especially like when they go to the, the bars and things, I'm like, this is not San Francisco. <laughs> it does not feel like San Francisco at all. Uh, but, no, I think they do just only externals, and then uh, the rest of it is again Canada. Sure, sure. I also think that by setting it in San Francisco, you allow for certain characters to have that laid-back California feel, like um, the mom, like Mary does. Uh, she does not have a natural sense of urgency to her that you would find in someone who had spent their life in New York or right. even Chicago, right? Um, and it allows for you to get a wide range of characters and a wide range of really distinct personalities without having the stigma of a city on it, if that makes sense. Going off what we were talking about with Mo's character being gender fluid, I know that's happening everywhere, but like in San Francisco, I feel like it's just it, widely accepted even before now, like right. 30 years ago, that was fine. If men wore full like makeup and went by he, him pronouns. Yeah. I mean, Mo definitely, definitely fits in the San Francisco mold. I think probably more iconically than any other character on the show. I mean, you look at something like Tales of the City, you know, I don't know if you're a fan of 
I, I I've read the book. I haven't seen the series yet, though. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's just the LGBT queer fight has been fought. I mean, it, it's still a good fight, but the fight has been won in many ways there that no one would bat an eye at someone like Mo in San Francisco. In places like Chicago or even New York, I feel like depending on where you are in the city, there would definitely be looks and things like that. I mean, maybe not in TV land, but definitely in real world Reality. land. Reality, yeah. Yeah. I also really like that not only were the main cast people who were in the industry but like so were the featured character actors um stephanie styles who played autumn she was in a couple episodes i don't know if you guys remember her (laughs) yes i do um that that whole thing where she gets mad at max after they break up in the coffee shop and like one of my favorite things that i've ever seen someone film is is when they like throw that coffee ice drink in Skylar Astin's face and he cannot react to it because it's a heart song. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. That takes all the acting in the world. Do you know what I'm saying? Because how many takes did they have? Did, did he ruin? <laughs> Just because it's fun. It's a natural reaction to like react somehow. Yeah. So, no, I, I definitely remember her and I, I appreciated her storyline. Sorry, keep going. But, like, even down to Sandra May Frank, who played Abigail uh, in one episode, she was the deaf daughter of the caregiver. Oh, my gosh. That entire episode was everything. Heartbreaking. I, I saw her. I saw Jeff West's Spring Awakening twice on Broadway. Oh. Fucking loved it. Wished it stayed here longer, but right. Yeah. But to see her, it was great to see her on stage. We probably take credit here in LA for Deaf West. Proud supporters of Deaf West out here. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, bring more shows here. I fucking loved it. I just liked how even then in this show they followed the rules, but like it was in a different language. Yep, and. For um, like Zoe, who we know, who was established at not knowing music, may have un- known that it was fight song because it was a, a you could hear the instrumentals and it's so uh, I don't want to say iconic because it's like a fairly new song, but like it's recognizable, right? So yeah. Fairly well, recognizable. Well, and I think that in order to be super successful with introducing that to mainstream television, picking something like fight song was incredibly smart because I would say 98% of the population is at least familiar about half of those lyrics, right? Because it was number one on the charts for so long. It was on every radio station. So by picking a song like that and adding this extra layer of storytelling, I mean, that that entire episode was absolutely stunning. And I am a huge Zach Orth fan, huge Zach Orth fan. Um, but uh, that storyline and the way it was dealt, I mean, it was just so stunning. And what I also love is that as brilliant as Mandy Moore is, she took a step back for those numbers and let David Curse, who is the artistic director of Deaf West, take lead on it, right? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, and obviously so- they needed some sort of communicator right right. but also to find a way to involve asl 
into movement. I mean, that's something that David Kurz has been doing for a long time. And for, I just have so much appreciation for people with humility like that to say, this is not about me. This is about showcasing excellence in this way. And so I should let the person who is excellent at this job do this job. Um, and so as, as a creative, watching that was so powerful to me. You know, one of my favorite things about that episode, too, as well, is that, you know, in real life, Zoe needs the interpreter to understand the sign language, you know, whether it's with her father or with her coworker in the office when, you know, she comes in uh, to meet with her. But what's so interesting is that when she's hearing this heart song or she's seeing this heart song, she doesn't need the interpreter. And it's such an important moment, I think, for Zoe's growth with with this thing that she's dealing with, hearing these heart songs and how she's growing as a person, is that whether she knew fight song or not, she knew exactly what the character was saying to her and what those pe- you know the people in the room were saying to her without without physically understanding it, you know, uh, without physically understanding the sign language, she knew exactly what was being conveyed to her, and um, I did I thought it was just so beautiful. I don't know. I just wanted to that out too yeah is it ever mentioned that she actually feels what the other people are feeling like like an empath in a way or is it because she hears the lyrics and sees the movements and that informs everything for her it's mentioned by um mo's character uh in i think episode three or four how people use songs to express things that they could not normally express in words and basically gives a definition of why we do musical theater right like why we break into song and dance is because emotions are so heightened that we can no longer express what we feel through spoken word we have to sing it we have to dance it out and you know alex newell's character mo kind of says that at one point in the third or fourth episode and you see something click in Zoe's head because I think up until this point, she's just been along for the ride, right? Mm-hmm. And just like feeling the feelings and like not really knowing what to do with them because that's who she is at her core. She has a hard time um, processing her feelings. Uh, and I think that that was a moment for her to like take a step back and listen more, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that they've ever hit it over the head in a line saying, you feel these things, right? Like, you right. see it visually. You see the visual storytelling of that. Yeah, and they kind of they kind of leave it so incredibly vague, at least this first season, of whether even she knows these songs, you know? Because uh, there are sometimes when she makes comments that I'm like, are we supposed to? Are we supposed to be on the thing that she doesn't listen to pop music? Or there's other times where she's a little bit cheeky. Like um, someone sings a boy band number. Oh my goodness! Oh, right. <laughs> um, and she starts like quoting those lyrics, and she's like, "Aren't you? Sh- are you sure you're not this and that?" <laughs> and so, but it, but they never they never really kind of addressed it this first season of if whether even she's like familiar with this material. And, oh, they yeah. they do because they do. she doesn't oh. know. There's a couple of uh, when she's describing to Mo the songs. Right. Mo is obvi- like first question is always like what's the title and she's like ah. right right I, I think she didn't know was it moon dance she didn't know exactly yeah, she didn't know moon dance 
<laughs> which um, <laughs> one of the things that's like a reoccurring theme in the first season is whenever they find her with headphones on they make comment to the fact that she's listening to true crime podcasts or tech podcasts so she'll like put on her headphones and mo has even said he's like what is your playlist anyways and she was like oh you know good music and then it's really a true crime <laughs> podcast right like, so, like she doesn't right. necessarily i think that they kind of establish it without really saying it that she doesn't listen to a lot of music that's not a part of her heart song as a human is to listen to music hers is other kinds of creativity um which i think is part like you were saying bobby it's part of this wonderful growth that we see in this first season is that she is actually being educated with music which is also a wonderful thing to watch and what's great is like the tone of the show kept the same i mean it changed slightly throughout the season but like the first the pilot episode it had like a sense of rawness to it that was then carried throughout I, f- right. I felt like, I mean, I, I could be reading too much into it personally. I, you Like there are some shows where you watch the pilot and then you watch like episode 10. You're like, these are two separate yeah. shows. Yes. <laughs> but this one, you know, it breaks its own mold in a way. I don't know when, but like by the end of the season, it it still feels like the same show, but like the show even grew. Mm-hmm. as itself maybe it was when bernadette peters was on i'm not sure though <laughs> that was great though bernadette. oh man she's funny her character is really funny in this i appreciate that uh she gets to play some real comedy in this show <laughs> oh my god Bobbyism. she is the kooky aunt like she's the epitome of the kooky aunt and i appreciate she is. She, uh, but like a welcomed kooky aunt for oh, this yeah. for this world. Oh yeah, I I found on uh, Wikipedia like the list of the songs in all the episode. I counted seventy titles, including non heart songs, were in this season, and that is I'm I'm one of those people who like to buy the albums from the episode. Sure. <laughs> Because they're good. Wait, you can buy them? Yeah, mm-hmm. on iTunes. Yeah. Friends, I did not know this. And now we know where my money is going. Unfortunately, there are 23 songs that are not available. Oh, wow. That are heart songs only. Okay. Like, you're not going to find Alex Newell singing the first two songs that he sings in the pilot episode. No. Right. Not, gonna, not happening. But were great yeah the one that really pissed me off is that roar is not available oh no yes that is one of my favorite moments in this show right oh my god christina where have you been in my life (laughs) come on the pod war (laughs) i'm happy to i will nerd out all day with you and talk about this no lauren graham is my spirit animal and has been my spirit animal since the beginning of gilmore girls so that's like when i was like 13 you know what i'm saying and like that woman is everything and watching her live her best life during roar is like 
the most amazing. Although I really like it when she also what is the song Bobby uh, TikTok uh, where she's where she's in the elevator and like she satisfaction. Yes. Yes. That's available for purchase. <laughs> and my favorite is her and Renee Elise Goldberry singing, you know, um, Brandy and Monica, uh, the boy is yes. mine, uh, with everybody coming in. Um, Lauren Graham, I, I mean, I knew she had done musical theater stuff, but it was really great. It was really great to see someone who's always been enchanted by the industry and yeah. has tried to make it work out. I mean, she's been a very consistent working television actress you know what i mean to kind of live like you said her best life you can tell how much it's like meryl streep and mama mia like yeah oh yeah whatever whatever you think of that movie meryl streep is living every fantasy in that film (laughs) it is like she doesn't care whether the film makes millions like it did or flops she is like i have wanted to do this for 40 years and i'm doing it and that's lauren graham (laughs) in this tv show like she is She's doing it. This is her yeah. moment. She's I love it. They write her perfectly because I don't know if she ever really left Lorelai Gilmore. Because right. that's a hard that's a hard character to like. Even Alexis Bedell, like with Rory, like those are hard characters to leave behind because you have that pattern built up. So like they kind of wrote a Lorelai esque character, but not be a Lorelai. If that makes sense. Yes, it's a, it's definitely, I mean, that's been most of her career, if we're being honest. Um, even her in Parenthood is very Lorelai. Uh, and Parenthood is a brilliant show. And if you've never watched Parenthood, I need you to go watch all of it now. Go binge it. Binge okay, it and call. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, I, it, she she kind of has that is who she is like even in uh what was it the bruce almighty um mm. spinoff uh what was that evan almighty is it evan almighty yeah I think that um, even in that one like she still is a little bit lorelei you know even though it's not the patter it's not the back and forth the quick-witted stuff um so yeah i mean that's just who she is if you watch her in the new Mighty Ducks TV show on Disney Plus, which I definitely am because I am that nerd, because um, yeah. <laughs> I'm also a teenage boy inside, um, <laughs> uh, she still is Lorelai esque, you know. Um, so I I think that is just who she is, and that's what she brings to her characters, and I love that. I love that she does that, and she does it authentically. Like it never feels like a caricature of herself. I wanted to get this out before I forgot. We've, we've been talking about Mandy Moore here and there. She apparently won Emmys for All I Do Is Win and I've Got the Music in Me and Crazy. Oh, like, that makes sense. But I'm surprised it's not for, well, the Emmys must have ha- had the cutoff by then because later in the season, there's other ones that I feel like she could have right. easily swept for. But that's what I could find on IMDb. Although IMDb after a while was just like, we're not going to have any trivia on episode seven for you. Sorry. (laughs) Come on, IMDb. (sighs) She she won a couple Emmys when she did So You Think You Can Dance as well. Yeah, but I don't care about that. Yeah. I'm I'm focusing on this. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, (laughs) No, I think that she's incredible. And Crazy was one of the songs I wrote it down. It's one of my favorites. That whole sequence was stunning. Absolutely stunning. 
Which one was crazy? I'm trying to find it. It's when, the it's episode eight when they break the rules and it's Zoe singing. <gasps> yes. It's the first song she sings, I think, right? Yeah. 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 And that, that choreography was incredible. I mean, the dancers, I, there's one shot that really stuck out to me. And it's one of the dancers is on one of the chairs, one of the sofa chairs. And she is upside down. So her feet are in the air and she's doing this incredible shape work with her legs and her feet. And I was just like, that is beautiful, specific work. And it's like framing Zoe. And it was just like, oh, it was gorgeous and then the way that they utilize um the sequence with uh the way that they utilize camera movement and stuff like that and then when she gets up to the elevator and she's (laughs) no one's dancing with her she goes oh man and you just sit there and you just go oh no it's like cringe yeah oh yeah well this is a great segue because this is around the time that she finally told Max that she has this ability and only Mo and her dad knew about it. Right. Uh, why do you feel like she hasn't told anyone else? I mean, she's not like Superman or anything. It's just like, I mean, I feel like her mom would understand of all people. I, I think her mom would understand. I think, you know, I think part of it is her still growing. Again, she is very stunted in her relationships with other people. And so while she does have a relationship with her mother and a relationship with her brother and all of this stuff, you know, she clearly isn't great at communicating with people. And with these heart songs, now she is taking on so many other people's problems and emotions and things like that. I think she's realizing her mom has got a lot to, I mean, my perception is maybe, you know what? Mom doesn't need to worry about her crazy daughters, like hearing people sing. Uh, she's got a lot on her plate, right? Oh, <laughs> even though I do think her mother would be yeah, accepting of it. Um, she definitely seems like the kind of person who would. I don't know. I mean, if I went around telling people that I was imagining everything as musical numbers, they probably, I mean, my group of people would probably be like, yeah, that makes sense, Bobby. But yeah, um, I don't think that any of us would be surprised. But if I were a computer coder, I don't know. Like, right? I don't know. Mm. Just, mm, yeah, I, I agree. And I think that the only reason she ends up telling Max is because she is forced to because she cannot keep it together, right? And he keeps pushing her. And I don't want to use the word bullying because that seems wrong. But he's really testing their friendship with his questions and really trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. And because they are so close and because he has been, especially at that point in the show, we've seen it where he is so involved in her dad's progress and what's going on with the, I mean, no secrets are kept there. Right. So it seems like a natural progression for her to tell Max. Whereas like, like Bobby was saying, I think that if, I were, if I were Zoe and my mom was going through all of that, I'd be like, no, I can't tell my mom. No. <laughs> She's got to, ah, there's too much. <laughs> right? I think that would stress me out more than actually just being honest. <laughs> That's true. Uh, but hopefully in the future she tells more people. Who knows? Watch season two. Watch season now. two. <laughs> oh. So we know season two is out, obviously. Um, even by the time this episode comes out, it's fully 
done. How many more seasons do you think the show has in itself? Like, be honest. Do you think it'll last like six seasons? Do you think it'll be three? I mean, I haven't seen season two other than episode one. So I can't predict. I mean, like, as I stated earlier, it was really hard to understand where this would go after her father passed. So I have more exploring to do there. I would be hopeful something like this could last six seasons, which is like like the standard for a good run on on TV, unless it's, you know, running for a million years. Uh, But I could I could see this being a three season situation. Um, Again, not having seen season two yet. I could see this being a three season and, and like, let's call it a day. Yeah. I think I like Bobby, I was concerned about like, where do you go after season one? I mean, season one was so beautifully written with beginning, middle and end, you know, even without the answered questions of the love triangle, I didn't care. Right. Like it was just, if it had finished there, it would have been okay. And everyone would have been happy with what that was. Um, it's great that I got a second season. I'm really happy about it. Having kept up with the second season, I'm I'm not sure that it would go past season three. I think maybe it's already been announced that it got picked up for season three. Maybe I don't know. Um, but it's I think that now I because we're what a few episodes into season two now. Um, now it's kind of starting to find where it could go post-dad, post-Mitch. And I think it could be really interesting exploration of all of it. I would be afraid that it would lose some of its magic if they keep trying to push it past a certain point. Um, And that would make me sad, you know? But I, I hope that it continues to be successful. And I have a lot of faith in Austin and his creativity to keep finding new avenues and new storytelling with this. And I I hope that it continues to be brilliant because unlike other musical television series, I think this one actually has done it right and is actually utilizing the element of musical theater in in the right way. So that's my thoughts. Yeah, I think you could do the three to six range. It's like somewhere in there. I don't see it going past six. No. Um, And I feel like... Well, so we're recording this obviously before season two is ended. By the time this comes out, it should have been, it, it is ending. And then but, we'll be back for season two. And then, um. <laughs> yes! yes! <laughs> but with the way that season two was going, I feel like you have another se- uh, another season in it. And then however they do that season, like, I don't know, maybe it's just four, four and done. And that's fi- that's fine. Everyone... Everyone's happy. Everyone had a job for a while. Like, does she end up on Broadway? Like, I don't know. Again, I haven't seen season two yet. So by the time this airs, I probably will have actually watched it. I, you know, with the dad gone, I just, I'm, I, I wonder what Endgame is. You know, that's where my mind goes. And I go to the lowest common denominator. It's a show about musical theater. Does she end up on Broadway? Like, was that where we go? I don't know. Part of me is toying with the idea that the end is like she loses the power. Yeah, okay. I think that's how you end the show. But like, where in life she is, right? Maybe she left Spark Point, and like her mom is a successful landscape artist, or whatever she calls herself, uh, and so on and so forth. This is me also bullshitting right now. So <laughs> no, but I think you're right. 
right. I think that the way that you you end this story is that she's learned the lessons she's needed to learn because some of the interesting things that they're dealing with in season two, I actually, um, the first couple of episodes are rough and like it really feels like it doesn't know what it wants to be. But when you hit like episode three and four, um, as someone who uh, is a new mom, I have to say that, you know, Alice Lee's storyline is... Don't spoil it. I'm not spoiling. It's but not it's season two told. yet. That's fine. We spoiled everything on the for this season and one at least. Don't listen to this if you haven't watched season one. Um, but like, no, but I mean, the way that they're dealing with Alice Lee um, and Andrew Leeds' relationship, and they have the ability now because the dad storyline is wrapped up, right? Like, you have the ability to then focus on these other things, and I think that. Um, if they keep going in that vein, there's definitely a lot of meat there that they can continue to use and help the character of Zoe grow and mature. And then, like you said, I think that once she learns all those lessons, yeah, you know, and the universe has decided, okay, that's it. And you know what could be really fun? This just came to my mind is if she's learned her lessons and there is someone new who needs this power. And what is that transition? Hmm. Spinoff? Uh-oh. I don't know about a spinoff, but definitely a way of like... No, no, you said I, you you I, mentioned a spinoff. Spin I'm off. happy to be the spinoff, just so everyone's aware. Like, I will happily be the next Zoe. That's Christina's cool. Extraordinary <laughs> Playlist. Coming soon. Uh, do you guys have anything you want to mention? Did I miss anything? We covered a lot. The only... The only thing I really want to talk about is Andrew Leeds. We didn't spend a lot of time on him. Yeah. But I love this actor. Um, and it, for those who don't know, fun factoid, he was the first Jason in Falsettos on Broadway. Oh. So, fun fact. First Jason at a baseball game. Um, and grew up a Broadway baby and then went into television. And for anyone who loves to watch tv as much as i do he was on bones for a while that was the first time i was really introduced to him and he plays a crazy crazy serial killer creeper like so many things and that's normally what he plays like even right now he he's a reoccurring on a million little things and like that character is wow and so not this brother character i mean this is the first time when he came on screen i was like wait a minute there's a serial killer in zoe's <laughs> What's yeah. and, then he, and then he sings you gotta fight for your right to party yeah a, and i was like oh, my oh. Gosh. and okay. doesn't kill people with the pool cue <laughs> <laughs> but he's brilliant in this and i love that he was given an opportunity to play a not scary I'm going to murder you in your sleep character because he is, he's really great. And it, I mean, he's super talented and it's just really fun to see someone like that um, be given a shot to jump out of his box that he's been put in by the industry. I mean, I, I just love that they, they found people like him and Alice. I actually didn't even realize even being aware how much Alice had done in Hollywood. You know, I think of her as Broadway you know, I think of her as musical theater uh, because she was working a lot while I was in New York working in the industry. But um, they really found people who had a lot of credits or, you know, a decent amount of credits in Hollywood, TV and film, uh, but also have these really strong backgrounds and can, you know, 
the way that Alice approaches her scene work on Zoe's is, I mean, she's a fantastic actress on film. It is so different than watching her and Heather's play Heather Duke. You know what I mean? I mean, she definitely right. has become, has, has really honed her skill to be an on-camera actor, but has that, you know, repertoire in her like body to be able to perform these musical theater pieces Unlike finding, you know, just random Hollywood actors and be like, hey, can you sing? Because sometimes that happens. Christina's biggest pet peeve. I mean, you know, when they do like musical episodes of TV shows, it's always like, all right, well, which one of you can sing? Because you're getting a solo, right? Right. right. Yeah. Hey. Covered a bunch of those already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, it frustrates me. And it's it's one of those things that the thing about being on camera is that you can't lie, right? Everything's caught. Everything is close up. The camera catches everything. So the minute you have someone who doesn't actually feel comfortable singing and dancing at the same time on camera trying to do it, I know you're lying. I know you're uncomfortable and it makes me uncomfortable and it makes me not want to watch you, right? Unless you're supposed to do that, see episode eight for reference. <laughs> yes. yes. But again, that's beautifully acted, right? And so it's it frustrates me when I watch certain, especially in the new age of movie musicals. I'm going to be really specific about that. In the new age of movie musicals, we look for stars and people who will put butts in the seats. And so we say, okay, you're going to be the lead. And they don't even consider people like Alice Lee or even, you know, Laura Osnes, who are household names for a good chunk of the population and say, you know what? They know how to work on camera, but they also are brilliant musical theater actresses. So, of course, they should be playing the leads in La La Land and not Emma Stone. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that. I will go on for days about it, but it's important to find someone who has like like Bobby was saying it's like in her body it's in her body to do that she knows what it is and she does it and it is so truthful and it's so grounded and it also what I love about it is it reminds the LA television and film community that just because you have musical theater on your resume doesn't mean you're an over actor It doesn't mean you're going to be too big. It doesn't mean you're going to be untruthful. In fact, it means that you can do beautiful work in a split second because that's what we have to do on stage, right? We get 30 seconds to go from making you laugh to making you cry, and that's all we get. And very rarely do we get a bunch of scene work to help us get there. We just have to go. And so this show reminds Hollywood that that exists. And that work is important and it's beautiful and it's usable, right? And it's popular. <laughs> Anyways, I'm off my soapbox now. Sorry, everybody. And then there's also uh, John Clarence Stewart, which we haven't really like delved into. He's so wonderful. Oh my goodness. I don't, yes. I didn't find, is he another one with a musical background or he is? But it's not yes. as big as some of the other actors on the show. Yeah, but he, I mean, here's the other thing I'm going to get onto my soapbox about. Again, Broadway credits and regional credits are the same thing. You just lucked out that you got on Broadway, right? Right. Like, being a working regional actor is the same. 
as being on Broadway, you just got lucky, right? It's just like, I've done a bunch of short films. I've done a bunch of indie films, but I haven't gotten lucky to do a big film, a studio film, right? Same thing. The work is the same. Um, and he's done a ton of that, but he also did, ah, oh, I can't remember the name of it. It was really important. And it was uh, like, it was about a church choir, a black boys church choir. And it was at MTC, I think, Manhattan Theater Club. It was a think- play with music. Um, and he was in that uh, in New York itself. And then he's done a bunch of regional stuff as well. Um, so he has a very extensive background in, in theater as a working theater actor. Trying to find it. Let's see. Okay. I went looking because I was like, who is this guy? Why don't I know who he is? I mean, it's great that if he was a quote unquote unknown, you know, like if he, if he has just the name choir boy, was that the actual name of it? It must been, that must been the name of it. I remember that when it came out in New York, it was a very big deal. And it it was, was, I didn't know he was in choir boy though. in an interview or something, an, an article I found on him, it talks about it. Uh, I don't think he did it on Broadway. I think he may have done it at the Alliance. He did it at oh, okay. the Alliance Theater, yeah. Got okay, it. Okay, there you go. But again, he's a working regional actor. He's a working regional theater actor, which is just as important. Oh, absolutely. As being on Broadway. Um, and I know that greater public and uh, industry all be like well if you had broadway credits then we consider you serious you know but that's not true the the theater industry is so much more than just new york um and the talent is the same anywhere you go you know what i mean and it's important for people to remember that well i'm just hoping that this show is a branching off for him at least for like bigger roles you know on the broadway or the west end or wherever Exactly. I hope it launches his career in a way that it, that nothing else has, right? That's so important. It's it's tough though cuz even look at Skylar Aston, you know, he yeah. has been navigating Hollywood for a while, but I think of like one of the few things after Spring Awakening he's come back with was um oh, at Encores, it was God bless you Mr. Rosewater. And he was not one of, he wasn't the star. I mean, that was Santino Fontana. He was still playing, you know, uh, a side character. So it can be, it can be tough sometimes for these, on these musical shows to kind of make the transition back. Right. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else before we get into Sharp and Flat? Nope. No. All right. Let's get into Sharp and Flat. Woohoo! Sharp Flat. In this section, obviously, we're going to highlight some more moments if we, or uh, repeat what we've already talked about. And if we liked it, it's sharp. And if we hated it, it's flat. I had the music in post, so <laughs> well, while I'm editing. Who wants to go first with their sharps? Bobby, this, is, go first? this is weird. You're like my first time having more than one person. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh. Some of my sharps. Oh my goodness. Well, all of episode eight, I think, sharp. totally sharp. Um, the Deaf West episode, uh, you know, absolutely sharp. Agree, one hundred twenty percent. Mary Steenburgen's uh, material in the latter half of the season, <laughs> sharp. Once, once sharp. Um, you know, uh, Peter Gallagher, in general, sharp. Just to pick somebody who was is is such a skilled 
Broadway performer and put him essentially in a speakingless role, you know what I mean? But to allow him to have these beautiful song moments. I, sharp, 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 sharp. I, I want to piggyback off of you for a second with Peter Gallagher. I wrote it down in my sharps too. When he's morphing from the song moment into the their PSP, you, oh, I'm not an actor, but I was just like, that's fucking acting right there. Oh, it was so good. Master so- class. Sharp, sharp, sharp. In <laughs> uh, the ensemble cast, I, sharp. I think they cast oh, yeah. for this first season the every single featured player in the show. You know, you know, everyone at Spark Point, um, you know, even down to, uh, you know, some of the coworkers who don't get a, the most screen time in the world. Just sharp, 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 really beautiful <laughs> ensemble cast. Those are yes. those are my sharps for sure. Um, one of my sharps is actually a line that Zoe says. Oh, <laughs> she says, I'm the X-Men meets the voice. Yeah. And I. <laughs> laugh for about five minutes after that line and the way she delivers it i mean brilliance uh and as someone who is a superhero nerd meets musical theater nerd it was everything for me (laughs) um i think i've already mentioned this i love the flash mob into real is real life moment um that we talked about with max i just i thought that was so well done I also really the another sharp for me was the sequence. It's actually a dream sequence, but where like everybody's singing giant group number and Zoe is singing with them and they're like dancing through Spark Point and then they're dancing through um, San Francisco and then she gets a piano dropped on her. And I was like, yes, <laughs> beautiful way to have that moment <laughs> and have a dream. They, I mean, look at. Talk about like how you incorporate all musical theater life into a TV show. They even got a dream ballet, a dream sequence. I mean, come on. Now we just need that goddamn tap number. Yeah. I I am waiting for it. I need it to happen. Ah, anyways, the sound of silence duet between Zach Orth and Peter Gallagher is one of the most beautiful things I've ever witnessed. And the way that they're, their voices meld together is just stunning so that was definitely one of i mean another one for me was fight song the deaf west production i mean everything about that was so meaningful and then like we spoke about earlier i love the nine minute one shot it may not have been a one shot but what seemed to be it was i mean and i just so appreciate how they do those long shots um Mm -hmm. even and they're very clever with how they do the editing um, if they do edits, you know, and I, I really appreciate that about the show. So those are my sharps. So you both had some of my sharps, but I'm going to add some more to it. Yes. Uh, Lauren, Lauren Graham and Alex Newell's quippy nature. Oh, like, yes. Their lines are so Alex Newell in that first episode where he's just like, I am so high right now. I was just <laughs> like, yes, yes. <laughs> but like the, their jokes are just it comes off natural like 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 you said earlier christina like they're not lying when they're saying those lines so it feels like somehow they wrote the characters for those act for them those two specifically i can't speak for the other ones because i don't know their work that well but like lauren graham and alex newell it felt like mo and joan were written for them in mind specifically 
Yeah, I mean, Lauren Graham is known for improving lines in the middle of scenes. <laughs> um, it's every audio engineer's worst nightmare. Oh um, no! A friend who was an audio guy on <laughs> Parenthood, and he was like, "It's a disaster every time we get into editing." <laughs> it's just like, but it's also what makes her so brilliant, and like what you love about watching her. So I do wonder how much of her stuff is like random throwaways that she would just button scenes with yeah. I don't know how much <laughs> how much leeway she was given in this show but yeah i also really uh, sharpening mo's fashion yes oh it could go so wrong so fast but like they dress his body beautifully i don't know if he has some influence in that again but like i don't know I wouldn't be surprised. And then there were some specific numbers I wanted to give a shout out to because like the way that they staged it was just beautiful or needed sharp uh, a, a sharp behind them. Uh, superstar, say my name, here I go again. Specifically when the elevator door closes on Max and opens on uh, Simon. Yes. Just like moments like that, I'm always... It, it always gets me. Let's stay together. I don't remember why I wrote that one down, but I wrote it down. <laughs> the uh, True Colors instrumental, which is when you know, cry fast, uh, and then American Pie. Like, yeah. uh, that is beautiful. And we didn't really mention this earlier, but I, <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship when they literalize the lyrics. Mm. And, you know, the, with this show, they don't do it that often but like there are moments especially in american pie where one is like john clarence stewart singing like talking about the relationship between zoe and max and there's a line in american pie that goes with it i love it and i hate it at the same time because it's so uh, on the nose it's so on the nose yeah there 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 are other movies and tv shows that do this worse than this show does (laughs) though so I'll give it a pass. I'll, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a neutral, if you will. You know, <laughs> it's moments that, like it's, that that take it into Rock of Ages and Mamma Mia territory. You know, yeah, like oh, in, Mamma Mia, and in this show avoids it so much. But it's those, yeah. I totally, I'm I'm there with you. What are our flats, everyone? Christina, you start this time. Okay, my the only real flat that I wrote down is a little less conversation. I just really <laughs> hated that moment in its entirety. I was like, this is unnecessary. You talk about like using the lyrics and hitting it on the head. For me, these lyrics did not speak to what actually was happening. The only thing that spoke to the moment was a little less conversation. I'm like, I get it. You don't want them to argue, but like, can we pick a different song? There were, there are like 10 other songs we could choose. That are in her range. (laughs) Potentially. Like, I don't know, but I was like, we can, you can change that kind of stuff a lot. Like you can do Rex Harris and talk singing. Like we can figure that out, but like (laughs) a little less conversation is just, there were other opportunities to use that song, right? Like, it, I just, I couldn't handle that one. That one really just irked me. I remember it completely pulling me out of the show and being like, I don't know if I want to continue watching. <laughs> but really, that was the only, that was my only big flat that I was like, nope. <laughs> 
Oh, and also some of the bro stuff between Leaf and Tobin gets to be too much, especially because I guess it helps that Kapil, I hope I'm saying his name right, Kapil Tallwalker. I'm so sorry, sir, if I said that wrong. Um, but He's, he's not really, listening. He's listening. <laughs> um, Are you going to send it to him? <laughs> yes. Yes, because I know him. I don't know him. Um, I just... I, I assume that we're all that cool because we're not in high school anymore and I like to think that people like me. Anyways, no, but anyway, Kapil is great and he's such a lovable actor and he plays this brosive character that is funny. Like, there are moments where that the two of them are funny together being bros, but then there are moments where I'm like, okay, someone need like she says it in one of the episodes she's like i wish i could report this to hr like during one of their art songs and i'm like but also like the things that they say in real life you can report them to hr and someone should it's when their misogyny comes out that i'm also just like "Mm, i get it you're making us you're kind of make i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna jump the line on this one sorry bobby a flat for this show for me is like this season they kiss on issues but they don't like explore them enough Mm. so like the misogyny the underplayed feminism um zoe's extraordinary silence episode with the deaf west influence um they kind of they that's like the only time that they explore some sort of not normative culture do i want to say culture i don't want to say culture I do want to say culture. Do you want to say? Sure, I think so. I mean, the deaf, the deaf population have their own version of culture, right? Yeah, um, uh, community. If yeah, if you've seen that, I don't even remember the name of it, but it's this very strange docu series about a deaf university, oh. and it's a reality TV show where they follow a group of young men and women, and they're how they experience life as millennial gen xer um deaf people wow and it's fascinating and also really uncomfortable to watch in certain moments because netflix so they don't like have to edit anything out they really go there um so like there's that but it's fascinating and it is it's it is its own culture like they within the deaf community there are a lot of things that i've had no I was never privy to that information and, and how that they interact with each other. And there are like, there, they kind of touch on it in the deaf episode of Zoe, where they talk about um, those who are against cochlear implants and trying to conform and those who embrace their deafness. And then within the culture, there's a big divide with that. And it's fascinating, this Netflix series. And if you have time to go sit and watch it, go watch it. Um, but yes, so I think that you're right to call it the culture. Yeah, but like it feels like the show they they they're hovering over the hot button issues, but they're right. just not fully committing to press them. Um, which is you know unfortunate because you could explore more. Not spoiling season two so hard right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I also hated Charlie uh, Jones' husband. Oh gosh, yeah. He was awful. And then I also hate the fact that Roar is not available for download. I mean. That's a super flat for me. That's a super flat. That's a super flat, yes. Also, Uh, the fact that you got Noah 
um, as the Spark Point CEO and like don't utilize him singing his ass off, I was like, guys, <laughs> he's <laughs> he's like covered Christian Borle in every single show. <laughs> He well, needs to was, go sing a big number. That was like casting Brian Darcy James in Smash and being like, hi, you're not going to sing. Oh, right. I, can't even I mean, that. I mean, uh, that, yeah. I mean, you guys had some similar flats as mine. I mean, my flats would have been some strange song choices at the beginning of season one. Um, TikTok, I didn't, I didn't need to see that. I, there, <laughs> I feel like there could have been a better song choice that to me that felt glee. It was like, okay. This is Leah Michelle. All I do is win was was a little uncomfortable to watch. A little less talk, a little conversation. Some of Skylar Aston's stuff at the beginning uh, to me was hypersensitive from that like stalker guy kind of. Mm. I don't know. Some of those early songs like Sucker for You and some of that stuff. I get why they chose it, but I think it some of the so those are flats for me. Because I think the show really eased into better song choices that conveyed some of these heart song moments for these characters as they really gain their footing. Um, the misogyny was an issue. I have no idea what you guys are alluding to in season two, but it's like, I mean, clearly Tobin is in love with Leaf, right? Mm, yes, but that's not what happens. Oh, Okay. All right. Well, yet maybe who knows? We no, haven't. I had the same thoughts. I had the same thoughts watching. And I and and if they had gone there a bit, like even just a bit more than they did, his the misogyny would have been more digestible. But I also just like for the show that's all about empowering your lead female. I just there were some comments that I was like, do we really? Where was the red pen on that? Did we have to say that? Because. He was also just funny, like, I'm going to eat all the shrimp and the lobster, which had <laughs> nothing to do with being a total misogynist. Like, he could be a jerk without that, right? Yes. Right? And I was actually really surprised when they went with the storyline with Leaf and Joan, mostly because I assumed, and this is probably this I know is totally me like being a privileged white straight female but i watched that i was like oh cool so tobin and leaf are gonna get together because leaf is obviously gay okay cool and then they're gonna get to deal with um tobin and being culturally indian and what that could mean and oh great okay that makes sense and then when they were like oh and leaf and joan and i was like what what <laughs> yeah. left field i'm confused <laughs> But maybe that's just me being like too cisgendered minded about it. You know, like we talk about Alex Newell being gender fluid. So like, why can't Leaf be, you know? And so I, it was a weird moment of like needing to check myself, but also it feeling untruthful. And so I wasn't sure if my instinct was right. That was very awkward for me. Anyways, yeah. it brings up conversations. Would you add any of this? I, I, there are 70 songs. I know there's so many of them, but would you add any of these songs to your life's playlist? Christina. You go, Bobby. You go no. First. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. I'll go first. How's you go that? first. You John, go first, you go John. do it. My podcast, my rules. Um, <laughs> I really loved I Want to Dance with Somebody. You know, I feel like oh. I could jam out to that. I got the music in me. Uh, without the visuals, I feel like it's a total bop of a song. And then Satisfaction. Just Lauren Graham wailing in my ears. And if they had fucking roar available. Yes. <laughs> that one too. 
I would listen to that nonstop. NBC Universal, I'm going to need you to put that out, please. Thank you so much. Well, the I was the the list that I have of a few of her songs are not available, as well as Zoe's Extraordinary Neighbor, the one that is agoraphobic. Her songs are not oh. available at all, which is so weird. That might have to that might be a rights issue. Like they were able to get the rights for the show, but right. actually being able to uh, produce it on an album where there's more residuals involved, like that may be part of the issue. And then um, I, and then I asked you guys earlier about I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus because it's not available. Neither is pressure what she sings, which like come on. That, that was a great was moment. A great I mean, number. That- that's in my extraordinary playlist. <laughs> I see what you did there, Bobby. <laughs> All right, Bobby, what what songs would you add to your life's playlist from the uh, from the season one? Definitely pressure. I think um, that one hits home sometimes, but otherwise, definitely feeling good. Bernadette Peters dancing at the. I mean, <laughs> anyone who knows me super well, that's super on brand, and like that's a little bit of my like devilish personality coming out maybe when i get a win over someone else see that one works really well instead of the all i do is win i don't know but i actually relate a lot to um uh oh gosh uh simon simon is the name of the other suitor yes. max and simon mm-hmm. i related suitor. to a lot of suitors <laughs> simon songs That's a good um way to say that uh Mad World, especially when it's Uh, I mean, that's literally the soundtrack of my life. And I love when she comes forward and says, you're singing the same old song again. I feel like sometimes people say that to me. So Mm -hmm. those would be the ones um, that I would feel would be a part of my extraordinary playlist. There were a lot that I wrote down. I'm like, so pop song for my book, pop song for my book, pop song for my book, pop song for my book. (laughs) Instead of a playlist for my life, really, they're going into my audition book. Um, But (laughs) that's fine. They can. This question can work for that, too. What I really enjoyed was there were certain songs that like, of course, you've heard over and over again, but it wasn't until they were taken into context of a storytelling element where you really get to hear the lyrics and you're like oh I understand why this song is so powerful now and now I want to sing it and I think that's just because that's how my brain works I don't sing as a singer I sing as an actor and so for me lyrics are really important so Roar was one of them that I was like I need this I need to get to a place where I feel like I can nail this song just for myself right so when I sing it in my house at the top of my lungs where no one else can hear me. I just feel all the empowerment. Um, that was one for me. Crazy. I'd actually never heard a woman sing that song before. And that the way that it's put into context in the storytelling, I just was like, oh my gosh, this is this is like Queenie, but for pop culture. And I got really excited about it. Fun fact, um, I sang crazy at an audition once. I you did? did? I did not book the role. Continue. So those were those were a couple that really were big for me. And like Bobby, I loved Pressure. Um, and also Sound of Silence, I think, is one that I, I would now put into my playlist. It was funny because we were watching Trolls the other day with my nine-month-old for the first time. And I forgot that that song was in there. 
<laughs> she sings the first verse of it in Trolls. And I was like, wow, you can really do a lot with this song, depending on what context you're using it in. <laughs> and with that, we're at the end of the episode. Aww. I know, it's so sad to go, but we have to at some point. Mm-hmm. We're talking forever. Sorry, listener. My favorite flop. Let's let's talk about that for a second. Okay. Well, you guys yeah. talk about that. Okay. You go. Plug wow. it. <laughs> Bobby, go. My favorite flop is a podcast that celebrates Broadway's fabulous failures and musical misfits. It is something that I went to Christina about very shortly, I feel like, after the pandemic began. And, and I said, this is something I really... I had always really been into the lesser known and also ran musicals. Anyone who knows me well knows that it's kind of my MO. And I was like, I want to talk about them, but I can't talk about them alone. And I thought <laughs> really, really hard about who I could talk about them. And Christina is one of um, one of the few people who I've met in this industry who truly loves musicals. I think there are people who enjoy doing musical theater, I, I have not met many people who are just passionate about the material itself as she is. And so after many months of preparation, <laughs> uh, we launched and Christina can piggyback on that. Yes, um, we are really excited because uh, we thought we were only going to go for about five episodes and no one was going to listen. And here we are. We're, uh, I'm our- listening. I love oh it. Gosh, we love it. <laughs> uh, and we're so excited that you asked us to come on your podcast. We're actually, you're the first podcast that we've been invited to. So we're really excited, yes. excited about that. You, um, you have to wait a few more months and please let that statement still be true. <laughs> <laughs> hey you'll still be the first even if it's, it's not the first to air um ah, true. but yes uh we're really excited about it and we actually by the time this comes out we will have just launched what we call act two, <gasps> act two. i know um so that latest episode which is all about a broadway musical yes that is the title of the show mm-hmm. um a broadway <laughs> musical that's like just this is like saying intertitle here like yeah it's like title of show except a broadway musical um that episode just dropped a couple of days ago so please go on apple Podcasts or really anywhere you listen to podcasts go download it click subscribe give us a five-star review if you think we're good if you don't think we're good don't leave a review um ah! Leave the leave the review. Just don't leave a a rating. Don't rate it. Or that. Or come tell us why you don't like it. We want to hear from you. And you can find us on social media, pretty much everywhere at my favorite flop, including the Tickety Talks, where you get to have story time with Christina and learn all about the shenanigans that have happened to her on stage. Um. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh. But yeah, we are really excited about our act two. Um. We also have merch. Friends. What do I have to? Oh God! Has dropped. There's gonna be Bobby, no money left. Where, <laughs> where they can find our merch? <laughs> well, you can find our merch uh, at www.myfavoriteflop.com, uh, where there'll be all sorts of goodies available by the time this airs. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to send John a piece of swag. I oh, think. 
absolutely we have I to think... send john some swag yes so and, yes um... it'll be all over the socials <laughs> oh yay <laughs> well and not only will you find merch and our episodes there but uh blog posts and um things from my magical cabinet of mysteries <laughs> uh which are basically just things from my bootleg <laughs> collection Shh, don't tell anybody um, i i just love how you guys like drop hints for the next episode oh yes uh, and we do have our clue <gasps> for the next episode bobby do you want to give it to him oh my gosh episode 14 right yeah crazy town 14. Right, that's insane um this is episode 46 <laughs> oh my gosh that's amazing that is awesome john that is amazing that is something uh, i cannot accomplish with a nine-month-old keep going oh absolutely <laughs> the, clue. the clue for episode 14 is that both of these musicals are based on academy award nominated foreign films it's act two we're not just doing one musical per episode every episode Saha. oh breaking some rules. Wait, wait 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 so both of these musicals are based off of academy award nominated academy nominated movies foreign films yep foreign films but they're they're each a different foreign film not the same one not the same not the same okay that's like maybe act three or act four when we get to that crazy <laughs> tale. that's i i have no idea I, I was gonna say minari but that's too soon like it's too soon <laughs> or or parasite parasite the musical i mean i wouldn't be surprised at this point not yet i would not be surprised at all i mean we're gonna get you know queen's gambit the musical so woohoo um <laughs> And if you guys want to help us write Minari the Musical or um, Parasite the Musical, you can email me at buttersongpod at gmail.com. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at buttersongpod. Tell me what, tell us what you think. I mean, we talked a lot about this season. There's a lot to cover in just 12 episodes of television, but I feel like we did a good enough job. I think so. Yeah. And like we said, we'll be back for season two. So. Which is the next episode. <laughs> Surprise! Surprise! May as well do them back to back. Am I right? I'm all Maybe? for it. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't know how to sign out because uh, there's nothing like uh, I can't hear your heart songs because this is a visual. This is a computer. We're not in the same room because different coasts and all that. So we'll yeah. just say bye to everyone. And bye. Special thanks to Justin Johnson for creating the podcast's artwork and to Nick Bombasino for composing the theme song and the jingles in this podcast. And thank you to Castbox for hosting this podcast. Bye again, everyone, and have a musical day.